Well, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing this morning? All right. I know some more folks will be uh, trickling in, but we got a uh, we got a lot going on this morning, and so we're gonna we're gonna get going. Um, before I even begin with the announcements, let me just pray and and help us to kind of settle in here. So, Lord, we thank you for the privilege, for the opportunity we have to gather in your name this morning. And so we ask that you prepare our hearts, that you prepare our spirits, God. You know what's going on in each of our lives individually, God. You know the struggles of the past week. You know the anxieties of the week to come. And so meet us in this place, God. Help us to do life differently with you. And so, Father, we're grateful this morning for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just a few announcements. Again, I want to thank you all for following the guidelines. I know it's, it's frustrating, um, but we're doing what we can, and that includes letting us know ahead of time. And I know things happen, and, um, you know, sometimes last minute we have to change. It drives Kathy crazy, which is all the more reason to keep doing it, right? Because she needs to learn patience. I'm just teasing. No, Kathy's done. How about a round of applause? She's done a great job. It's quite a bit of uh, a lot of moving pieces. Um, but it does help when we, when we know ahead of time if you're coming, if you're not, uh, you know, whatever the situation is so we can plan it. Also, another just shout out to the folks downstairs in the overflow room. We try to not have everybody the same uh, every week, so we try to move that around. Uh, if you haven't been in the overflow mo uh, room and you don't mind that, give me a heads up and let me know because there's nothing worse than me looking at the list and trying to go, okay, is this person going to get their feelings hurt because we're putting them in the, you know, it's a silly thing, but... Uh, we want everyone to feel welcome and, and valued and happy. And so folks are in the overflow room. Thank you very much. Um, for mobile ministries, people have asked because there's obviously a particular need right now with the toiletries and the donations. So St. Paul's is accepting those things directly. And that's at the corner of Kempton and Rockdale. And so you can still uh, donate to them directly. And we'd ask that you do that. Because they're still going out and, uh, and helping the homeless and the folks that are struggling. Uh, and then also, most of you know Emma and Renzo. Those are our missionaries in Guatemala. And in addition to supporting them monthly, and we've, we've done things like we've dug wells. And, and you know, I don't want to get off too much off on a sidetrack. But when you dig a well for a community like that, that, that clean water becomes the center of the community where not only is it providing clean water, but everyone's gathering, and it's a real opportunity for the gospel to spread. But so we've done all, all sorts of clean wells, but what we've been doing lately is we've been actually paying for stoves for in their, in their hut where they live, because if they don't have a stove, they try to cook on their own, and they get smoke inhalation. It's very, very dangerous. And so for $240... We'll put a stove inside their unit where they're living, and it's a sanitary safe thing. And so uh, Bob and Becky Glover have kind of taken control of, of this uh, part of the mission support, and they've raised money. And so from January through, I think, August, they've put in stoves in. Every month there's been a stove. So we're looking basically for September uh, through the end of the year. And so if you feel inclined and led... This is above and beyond what we do for them as missionaries, but we're just trying to get stoves through the end of the year, so that way we'll have put in you know, a stove every single month. So if that's something that you're interested in being a part of, you can talk to me or, or Jamie or, or Becky or Bob Glover and do that as well. 
and with that, so I was praying this week, asking the Lord what to share about. And in fact, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll get in trouble. Uh, these connection cards, especially lately where there's been newer folks or changes in, in, in contact info, if you can fill out one of these, if you haven't already, if we don't have your information, it just helps us to stay in contact with you with emails, announcements, and let you know. So please fill this out if you haven't. Get it to Kathy. I'll put it in the back there in the little house, and we will um, stay connected with you. So I had a lot. Uh, in this past week, I had four sermons to write and a paper to write for school. I'm preaching uh, at Teen Challenge for the whole day. I'm doing three one-hour sermons in a day, so you guys think this is a lot here for uh, the 45 minutes down. What do you think? Three hours? Should we make that happen here? So I had a lot to do. So there was a lot of exposure to things, and I was praying and reading, and so I was trying to figure out what am I going to preach about? What am I going to share? What did I feel like the Lord was saying that we needed to hear about? And of course, I'm a little slow after my major baby toe surgery. It doesn't help, of course, that my brother in arms is taking advantage of my weakened state to mock me mercilessly rather than support me. And so I guess, you know what they say, leadership is a lonely place. I just wanted to point out that in his life, when Jamie was unable to move around so well himself, when he needed some, I was there to help him out. In fact, much like the footprint story with Jesus, I carried Jamie in the middle of his rough times. In fact, I think we even have a picture of, uh, of me helping Jamie out. See? <laughs> See, I get this every week. You, got, you know, you had to know. So, uh, in fact, the whole sermon was inspired by Jamie. So the title is Don't Just Go Through, Grow Through. And so we're going to uh, love you, bro. I'm trying to lighten things up a little bit. We have fun here because we're a family, right? But as I prayed seriously about what to talk about, I want to look at what it means to learn to walk together and to not just go through tough times together, but to grow, to mature, to develop character. Because right now, I know that many of you are in the middle of some very difficult situations. I know that in this room, there are relationship issues and addictions. There are children struggling. There are health issues. There are money problems. And the reality is, ever since the fall, life has not been easy. Because with sin comes violence and struggle and sickness and death and selfishness. In fact, that's not optional. It's not unlikely. It's expected. Jesus himself tells us in this world, we will have trouble, all of us. And so here's what I want you to hear right now. Because if you're not in the middle of something now, that means it's your turn to help other people. That's what that means. Because it means you've been through some things, and you're certainly going to be going through some things, because that's how life works. Because all of us have at times and will again face unimaginable loss and struggle. But Jesus' words should provide promise and reassurance. John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, the promise isn't that there's no storm. The promise is peace in the midst of the storm. The promise is that the storm doesn't last forever. 
And the promise is ultimately Jesus has already calmed the storm. He already has the victory. So we can be encouraged. We can rest assured. We can take to heart. This truth can be eternalized. We can use it as a foundation. We can overcome because he has already ultimately overcome for us. So this morning we're going to talk about growing through struggles. We're going to talk about being the kind of church that perseveres, that develops character during trials. We're going to talk about being the kind of church that impacts each other beyond just the superficial. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How you doing? I'm good too. And then meanwhile, everybody's lives are falling apart. Now we want to enter in. We want to be willing to walk with each other through the trials. We want to believe that Jesus can be trusted that God is in control, and that even when we can't see it, he's working it out. I know many of you have heard this this little poem before, but I want to read it, and then we're going to transition to worship. Why don't we stand? And I want you to just close your eyes. I want to read this, and again, I know you've heard it before, but often despite ourselves, God shows up says, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things, but I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life, and I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, yet everything I had hoped for. And almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered, and I am among all men most richly blessed. That was written by an unknown Confederate soldier. And so, Father, we come before you now, trusting even when we can't see, believing and hoping even when everything we do see seems to be to the contrary, trusting in you and your process and your purpose. So, Lord, meet us here now. Because it's not my words, it's your word and your spirit that go forward in this place in power and change eternities. Have your way now in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church. I hope that we all came to celebrate God's love this morning. And where it's communion, I hope we all came to thank him for the redemption he's given us, for how he rescued us, for what he gave up for us. And I think sometimes we're so used to hearing it that we take it for granted, but it was no small thing what he did. Amen. So today let's just worship him and celebrate him in thanks. Lifted me up, 
How great is your love, praise him. You bore my weakness. You bore my weakness. You took my shame, buried my burdens in fields of grace. You called me out and lifted me up. How great is your love. Hallelujah. From the heights of heaven. From the heights of heaven, you stepped down to earth. Innocent perfection, you gave your life for us. We are amazed. Yes, we stand in awe. For we have been changed by the power of the cross. How great, how great, how great is your love. How great, how great, how great is your love. How great, how great, how great is your love for us. Hallelujah. In your kindness, you lead me home. In your presence, where I belong. You call me out and you lifted me up. How great is your love. You stepped down to earth in us and perfection. You gave your life for us. We are amazed. Yes, we said it all. For we have been changed by the vow of the cross. How great, how great, how great is your love. How great, how great, how great is your love. How great. How great is your love for us. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. There's never been, there will never be a God like him, a love like his. There is none like you, Jesus. We praise you, God. There's never been and there will never be a God like you, a love so true. There's never been, there will never be a God like you, a love so true. There's never been, there will never be a God like you, a love so true. There's never been, there will never be a God like you, a love so How great, how great, how great is your love. How great, how great, how great is your love. How great, how great, how great is your love for us. See it again. Praise you, God. How great, how great, how great is your love. How great, how great, how great is how great, how great, how great is your love for us. Hallelujah. How great is your love for us. Praise him, church.
grateful for your redemption. Lift your hands. You think of where he pulled you out of. And if you're there now, raise your hands and know that he can pull you out of there. He can clean you, wash you up in his blood, so that when God looks at you, he sees the innocent son of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Seems like all I can see was a struggle. Shackles of all my failures. Hallelujah. Wondering how long is this going to last? Praise you, God. Then you look at this prisoner, say to me, son, stop fighting a fight that's already been won. I am redeemed. You set me free. So I'll shake off these heavy chains, wipe away every stain. I'm not who I used to be. I am I'll lift up your head. I remember, oh God, you're not done with me yet. Hallelujah. Cause I am redeemed. Hallelujah. You set me free. Made us new. So I'll shake off these heavy chains. Wipe away every stain. I'm not who I used to be because, because I don't have to be the open inside of me. This day is long, dead and gone. Because I've got a new name, a new life, but not the same. I'll shake off these 
his heavy chains wipe away every stain i'm not who i used to be because i am redeemed yes you set me free so i'll shake off these heavy chains wipe away every stain i'm not who God, I'm not who I used to be. Jesus, I'm not who I used to be. Cause I am redeemed. Give him praise. Amen. Believe in the promises of God, how he'll never leave you and forsake you, no matter how dark the night is. There's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up, coming after me is the God who pursues. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down, coming after me, he fights for our souls. There's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Lift your voice and praise to your God, amen. He's worthy. spoke a word you were singing over me you've been so so good to me before I took a breath before I took a breath you breathed your life in me been so, so kind to me.
was your fault. When I was your fault, still your love fought for me. Thank you, Jesus. Because you have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so
There's nothing we can do that can make up for this great gift he's given us. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the uttermost. When I think about the Lord, how he picked me up and turned me around, and he set my feet on the solid ground. It makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, Lord, you're worthy of all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, you're worthy of all the glory, all the honor. All of the praise When I think about the Lord How he saved me How he raised me How he filled me with the Holy Ghost How he healed me to the utmost When I think How he picked me up and turned me around and set my feet on the solid ground. Makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, you're worthy of all the glory. All the honor, all the praise makes me own a shout. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, you're worthy of all the glory, all the honor, all of the praise. Yes, all of the praise, all of the praise, all the praise, makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, you're worthy of all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Makes me want to shout, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, you're worthy of all the glory, all the honor. 
all of the praise. Yes, all of the praise. All of the praise. God, we lift you up in this place, God. God, all of the praise, all of the glory, all of the honor goes to you. God, we are only here because of you. We only draw breath because of you. You are the only way to heaven. God, we thank you for making that way for us, Lord. And as we celebrate, God, your body and your blood today, God. Let us never forget how big it is, how heavy it is. God, that though the flesh was weak, your spirit was strong. And you faced those fears, God, for us. God, what little you ask of us in comparison. God, as we listen to your word this morning, God, let us just know that it is from a loving father telling his children what's best for them. Thank you, Jesus. All of the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. You may be seated. And we're going to ask the Casey clan to head on up. So here at South Coast Community Church, we dedicate babies, right? We, we baptize those who's, who've made a conscious profession of faith. We had a, a couple weeks ago, we had a baptism. Um, and so um, the, the baby dedication is more the parents have decided to come together with the family and present the child uh, essentially back to God, acknowledging that children are a gift from God. And so the parents and family are committing to live for Jesus as an example to their son and hope that someday he will place his faith and trust in Jesus himself. We know that God delights in his children. He takes great pleasure of them. They're one of the greatest gifts that he gives to us. Psalm 127.3 says, Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. And so because children are a gift from God, it's natural that Christian parents present and dedicate their child to God. In the Gospels, we read that people brought little children and babies to Jesus that he might put his hands on them and pray for them. So in the same way, Jamie and Stacy today bring their son Ashton, presenting first themselves and then Ashton before the Lord. Jamie and Stacy, I call your attention to the commands of God recorded in Scripture. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 7, tells us, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And Proverbs 10.1 reminds us, A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son grief to his mother. Jamie and I know a little bit about being the foolish sons. We're going to pray that Ashton's going to be the wise son. Amen. The best thing moms and dads can teach their children is the fear of the Lord. For Proverbs 1 says, it's the beginning of knowledge. 
So the church urges you, Jamie and Stacy, to love God with every ounce and fiber of your being and to teach Ashton to do the same. As you love God and one another, you will model before Ashton a wonderful love that God, to God that Ashton will someday want for himself. So Jamie and Stacy, by coming forward before God and his people, do you hereby declare your desire to dedicate yourselves and Ashton to the Lord? If so, please respond by saying, we do. Having come freely, I now ask that you enter into the following commitment in the presence of God and his people. So that Ashton may walk in the abundant life that Christ offers, do you, Jamie and Stacy, vow by God's help and in partnership with the church to provide Ashton a Christian home of love and peace, to raise him in the truth of our Lord's instruction and discipline, and to encourage him to one day trust Jesus as his Lord. Church, do you vow by God's help to pray for and encourage Jamie and Stacy in their effort to raise Ashton in the fear of the Lord so that he might receive our Lord's guidance? Please respond, we do. All right, Lord God, I ask your blessing and your favor upon Ashton today. Let me hold him. We'll see how he makes out. Usually kids are afraid of me, but he's like my buddy, right? You my buddy? Look it. What do you think? We're good. Lord God, I ask your blessing and your favor on your son Ashton today. We thank you for his life. We thank you that his parents love you and love him, and we seek that he may someday walk the path you have set for him. We ask you to wash over Ashton and be with him each day of his life. We pray that he grows each day in his love for you and his knowledge of you. As Jamie and Stacy have publicly acknowledged that Ashton is a gift from you, and they've expressed their desire to be godly examples as they themselves express their love for you by cher cherishing Ashton for every single moment. As they teach him and love him, we pray that you be with them and guide them and be with us all and guide us all. We thank you for Ashton's family and his support. And Father, just have your way in his lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we present to you Ashton. They got a little certificate, and Ashton's got his first little baby Bible, so he's, uh, we expect him to read that. And All right. Love you guys. God bless you. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those times he beat me up before he was saved. See, now it's a... Why don't we pray before we, before we preach? Lord, we come together in this place. And Lord, in a world full of uncertainty, you are our anchor. There is sickness, there is conflict, there is division. There are health struggles, there are relationship struggles, there are money struggles. But Father, you know that what each of us are going through, and we ask that you meet us in this place in a special way. That you overwhelm us with your presence. That you capture our hearts. Lord, we need you now. We're desperate for you. We were created with a longing, Lord, so help each of us to find the source, the, the truth of that longing that it's for you. Help us to keep our eyes on you and grow closer to you through it all. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So I wanted to talk, as I mentioned, about adversity. And in reality, I think the topic is more about maturity. You've heard me say before that difficulty is sort of the demarcation line in Christianity. Who or what do you run to when life gets tough? And that's not a rhetorical question. That's a real question. I want you to, I want you to ask and answer that question for yourself. When things get tough, who or what do you run to? And how's that working out for you? Because I know for a long, long time, I ran the wrong way. And not only did I run the wrong way, but it was to empty promises. It was to things that didn't fulfill. We know, and I've seen it oftentimes, that when trials come, many people abandon their faith. Many people run away from God. And they seek support elsewhere. The world offers chemical escape. It offers momentary pleasure with the lie of lasting peace. But what the world cannot possibly offer is real joy. Real, internal, unconditional, not based on circumstance or situation, but coming from within peace and joy. Because that doesn't exist apart from Christ. Only Jesus offers us a new way. The only way to true life. So we need to decide not when the crisis comes, but ahead of time. You need to make a decision. No matter what happens, I will follow Jesus. Have you decided that yet? It's easy sometimes in the midst, everything's going well, and you know our, our, our lives seem to start to be put on track, maybe start to go back together, maybe things are heading in the right direction, and so we say, you know, Lord, I'm going to trust you, I'm going to follow you, but how strong is that commitment? Is that just a commitment in the midst of, of, of you know, on the mountaintop when everything's going well, or is that commitment going to sustain us when things get difficult? Jonathan Edwards famously, resolution one, I will follow Jesus. Resolution two, if nobody else does, I still will. Have we we made that kind of resolution? So I want to look at some passages of scripture today, and I want to draw out some promises, and I want to draw out some application for us. Because I want to encourage you this morning, in particular as I was, you know, putting this together, and I know as the pastor, you know, getting emails, I know specifically some of the stuff that you guys are going through, and there's some heavy stuff right here, right now in this room. But I suspect beyond what I know is happening, I suspect there are people here in this place right now, and you know, you come here for all different reasons, you think, but God brought you here in this place, in this moment. To minister to you. It's not about the person on the side of you. It's not about anything else but for you to be in the presence of God and to be ministered to in such a way that your life is never the same. And so I feel like as I was preparing this, you know, and I'm not one of these guys, I feel like the Lord told me, you know, you get a sense and you pray, but I'm not, that's not my thing. So the Lord told me, brother, to say no. But I got this overwhelming sort of burden as I was preparing this. That, you know, the Lord was kind of saying, like, they need to be reminded I'm with them. Just this real sense of of people need to know that I'm with them. And so I feel like right now, very specifically, Jesus is saying, I'm with you. 
I know you got stuff going on. I know you can't see tomorrow. I know none of it makes sense, but I'm with you. You're not alone. The situation is not a surprise to me. And so I want to encourage you this morning. We understand the principle of growth and trials well. James, write about, James writes about it. We, we preach this a lot. You've heard it a lot. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my, breth- my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And I love when people kind of stop there, you know. Sometimes people just like pay, take a little piece of scripture or sentence and, and that's it. And so you're going through difficulty and you got people that try to be helpful, but they really end up like Job's friends, right? They're like, oh man, I'm having a tough time. Consider it your joy, brother. Consider it joy when you go through trials. Hey, thanks. That's encouraging. You're awesome. Way to go, Bill. But there's not a, there's not a period there. There's a comma. That means there's things that are going to come after that. Just like take up your cross and follow me is an invitation to death, to death itself. It is, but ultimately it's an invitation to life. It's an invitation to the resurrection, to a resurrected life. It's not a period, take up your cross and follow me. It continues. Jesus is showing us the way to life. And in this, James is saying, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Knowing. And that word means being certain of. Without question, resting on the fact that your trials will produce, the testing of your faith will produce endurance. Anybody need endurance? I don't know about you, but this has been like a testing of endurance in the history of life, right? This is one thing after another, right? The testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If I would have started this sermon and said, does anybody here want to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? We all would have raised our hand. But then we go back to the beginning. It says, consider it pure joy when you face trials. Why? Because it's the process. I know, we, you know, sometimes things are so bad and go, we just want to get through it. I, I get it. I just got to get through. I just got to go through this. I just, tomorrow's got to, you know, tomorrow's going to come. The season's got to end. And yes, that's, listen, we, we, it always goes back to the same thing. Jesus in the Garden of the Gethsemane, what did he pray? Lord, take this cup from me. That's one of those, this season's got to end prayers, right? That's one of those, boy, change the circumstance prayers, Lord. And we can pray those. And you know what? Sometimes he does. Amen. Praise God. But you know what he does more often than not? He says, I'm not going to change the circumstance, but I'm going to change you in the midst of the circumstance. And so the, the second half of Jesus' prayer is, Lord, take this cup from me, but if not, your will be done. You see, that's the, that's the demarcation line. That's the sign of a mature Christian, because we can all pray, Lord, change my circumstance, change my situation. But it's hard for us to pray, but if that's not your will, then change me. Be with me. Help me to grow because I want to be mature and perfect and complete. You see, we need to know the truth. We need to know it. 
not just have some wishy-washy sentiment, but we need to believe it. We need to internalize it. Then we need to let or allow or comply with the process to don't give up, to run the race, to fight the fight, to keep the faith. And the result is that we're becoming more and more like Jesus. You know, when we gather together, we gather to fellowship, we gather to worship the Lord, we gather to be equipped and and to grow in the truth. But all of this, the reason the church exists is so we can become more like Jesus. And that's not the end. It's to be disciples. We didn't just buy these signs because we thought they looked nice. Because it's a nice reminder. Why are we here? Yeah, we're here to be disciples. We're, we're here to learn and grow. But why? So we can repeat that cycle. So other people can encounter Jesus and they can learn and grow. We're here to become more like Jesus. That is it. Allow the process. Keep the faith. Later on in the fourth chapter, James writes this, starting in verse 7, four, uh, chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Some of you have been running for so long, you just need to stop running. Take that step. Draw near to the Lord and watch how he comes near to you. Then it says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And I read that and I thought, boy, that started out kind of positive and then turned a little negative, didn't it? I like the draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That was encouraging. But then when it was like, you know, wash your hands, you sinners, you double-minded. And so I, I went into that and I said, what is that? What is... Because encountering the truth of the gospel, allowing that truth to set us free, it means no matter what happens in your life, it means you make up your mind. It's not lukewarm. It's not wishy-washy. It means you submit. It means you stop fighting. And what, what James is saying is, like, stop being double-minded. Stop, well, one day I'm going to go to church, and one day I'm not. Or one day I'm going to submit to God, and one day I'm not. Or one day I'm going to, no. Saying, stop being double-minded. Saying, you want a relationship? You want to draw near to God? Submit yourself to Him. Unequivocally, without a doubt with no reservation, with no caveat. That's why he says in verse 9 to grieve. It means to be afflicted or mourn and weep if you look at it. I read this explanation in a commentary. It says this is not meant in some bare external way. It's not about afflicting the body with fastings and scourging by renting of garments and clothing with sackcloth. It's not about putting ashes on the head or other such outward methods of humiliation. But here, afflicting the soul is meant as an inward mourning, as a weeping over the heart, the impurity of nature, the various sins of my life. It's because contrary to a God of infinite love and grace, it's in in an evangelical way looking supremely to Jesus and being affected with the pardoning grace and love of God in Christ. I love that expression. It's being affected with the pardoning grace of love in God in Christ. We keep saying that the gospel is only good news if you understand the bad news. That's what the scripture is saying. 
that we need to come to the place where we're aware of our own condition. And then our laughter is turned to mourning, our joy to this heaviness. Meaning the carnal joy. Meaning the worldly things that they pursued consumed them. And James is saying there's another way, there's a better way. The same way you surrendered yourself to the things of the world, now surrender yourself to God. James is saying repent of the old way in which you dealt with struggles. And then he's also saying repent of the empty religious ways. And he's saying here is a new way. And so with that as, co- as sort of a foundation, I want to look at a story in Scripture. It's in Mark 2 and Luke 5, but we're going to read it in, in Luke 5, beginning of verse 17. It says, one day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every, every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And Mark, it says, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left. Not even outside the door. So there was such a crowd to hear Jesus preaching that there wasn't even standing room only that. People couldn't even get to where they were in earshot. Scripture continues, And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to think to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. So I want to teach through that with you. I want us to look at that story. Now we know that Jesus healed a leper a few days before that. And that after his healing encounter with the leper, he had pulled away from the crowds. That this was in fact Jesus' time of spiritual replenishment and spiritual refreshment with his father. It says that, we see it in verse 16. And in verse 15 it says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of his sickness. Verse 16, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Of course, Jesus was God, which meant that he always had the power he needed to do the work his Father had given him to do. But Jesus as man, his practice of drawing away from his ongoing ministry in order to pray, teaches us the importance to do the same things in our lives. If we don't, you know, so many times, and you've heard me say this every time I preach, a friend of mine loves this quote, ministry kills more ministers than the devil. And ministry, that's not me, that's not Pastor Brian's ministry. That's Christian ministry, that's what each of us do. Why? Because we neglect the first thing. 
Because we forget, as Jesus did, unplug, to separate from the world and engage with the Father. If Jesus did that, and he was God in the flesh, what an example that ought to be for us. See, we all want the power of God to be evident and active in our lives, but we don't regularly draw near to the source of that in prayer. We neglect the primary thing and we expect the secondary thing to happen. And then we say, well, why doesn't the church have power anymore? You know, why, why doesn't the church, what do you think? The Lord doesn't have power, the Word doesn't have power, the Spirit, no. The people of God have neglected our relationship with God. The story of the friends bringing that paralyzed friend to Jesus is one of my favorite stories of healing in all the Gospels. And I think one of the reasons is because it reminds me a lot of my own life. Because I remember my wife and my family and so many people, they were praying for me. You know, they, you, just, you just need to get to Jesus. And I was tired, and I was weary, and I didn't, you know, for a million reasons, you know, I didn't think, I didn't have faith. I didn't have faith that Jesus was going to do much for me. I didn't feel worthy of Jesus doing much for me. I was tired. I couldn't pick up my own mat anymore. You know, those guys could have shown up and been like, you know, sorry. Sorry, Joe. We'll call him Joe. Sorry, Joe, but, you know, there's too many people there. We'll try to bring you next week. Sorry, Joe. You know, next time, you know, sorry. No. No, they were persistent. First of all, they knew who to go to because you got to know who Jesus is. If, you, if you're making all this effort to go to him, you got to know who he is. And so here, are all, these, these are the kind of friends that say, no, we're not going to take no for an answer, dude. doesn't matter if all you can do is sit there. We're going to take you to Jesus. Man, do I feel like when I wasn't, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't even carry my mat. The faith of people around me was strong. I said, ah, you know, it's crowded. I, you know, I can't, you know, they call for a treatment. I, yeah, make one phone call and yeah, everybody's full. You know, that kind of thing. And maybe you're here and maybe that's where you are. Like, ah, you know, my life's falling apart, but I'm just so tired. I'm so worn. I'm so beat up. I don't have the faith. I don't think it can change. You need to be encouraged today. I remember Jocelyn and Gary Taylor, the founding pastor of South Coast, and my mother-in-law. I remember them driving me to one place and picking me up and driving me to the other place. And my dad and my sister wrote me letters I still have. My wife home trying to be a mother to my kids. And all these people coming alongside me, digging through that roof to try to get me to Jesus. Made all the difference. I'd be dead today. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you're if you the guy on the mat that's paralyzed and need folks to carry you. Or I don't know if you just got a friend that's getting to that place and you just you worry about him. I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray. And that's the first thing we got to do. But how about taking a corner of that mat? How about putting a little, little effort in? Because... The story should remind us that sometimes we need to be carried, and sometimes we need to be the ones carrying. 
I mean, that's, that's, that's what we're talking about here. That's what discipleship is. You know, the Bible, this isn't just stories of people. These are lives. These are people that existed in time and place. Jesus came and he existed. He split history in half. He was here. He changed everything. This is real. These are not just teachings. There's power in this truth. The story embodies so much of what you and I need to be about when it comes to seeing and experiencing the transforming work of Jesus. It's a story of what can happen to one person when the people around them don't give up. I imagine there were a lot of times where they had done similar things. Where they had tried to find a solution. It seems like this guy had had this situation his whole life. So I imagine these friends were probably like, hey, you know, we're going to try this, we're going to try that. That they were desperate for a healing and the, and the guy who needed to be healed probably got to the point, you know, after a while, you suffer with something for so long, whether it's a physical or spiritual, and after a while, you start to give up hope. That's what the enemy wants you to give up hope, thinks nothing will ever change. You think the God who sent his son to die for us, to redeem us, to make us right before God, that God who created the universe and everything in it, you think he can't engage you and your little problems and change everything? Because there is nothing beyond his reach. You know, I love people like, oh, you know, my, yeah, my story, man, I mean, it's crazy. You know, I've been through this and that. It's like, have you heard of King David? Because everybody thinks their sin's the biggest and everybody. And it's good. It's good to have a, a, an acknowledgement of your sin. And it's good to understand that. We read, we started, the, we started with that in James. We, that's what we talked about. But you think your sin's bigger than the blood of Jesus? You think God can do all this stuff with these other people, but then, you know, and that's what the enemy does. I mean, that's what he did to me. I, I, you know, it wasn't, I, 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 wasn't that I didn't believe Jesus could heal me and help me and meet me and, and change me. I believed all that. I just didn't think I was worth it. And that's still the enemy. Some of you guys feel, well, you know, and I get it. I thought I've had every opportunity on the planet. I've had every advantage in this life, and I threw it all, all the way by my own choices. I don't deserve the grace of God. Nobody does. Nobody deserves the grace of God. It's unmerited favor. My kids sometimes, they don't deserve my love, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes they're doing some things, and I'm like, yeah, you guys can move out. Dad, we're 12, move out anyway, you know, right? There's other countries you'd be working already. Come on. But what happens? I love them anyway. I can't not love them. In fact, you know what happens when they're not behaving or when they have a need? I love them even more outwardly because they need more of me. We gotta get we gotta wrap our heads around God's same kind of love. It's a perfect love, it's way beyond what we can do. But can you imagine when your child needs something, what do you do? You try to find a way, not just to meet a need that they want, but to meet an ultimate need. What is it that I can give this child to optimize their experience in life? How can I help them? How can I help them develop character and equip them? 
And hopefully you have a relationship with your kids where they see that. And even if they don't agree with you, they know that you love them. Hasn't our Heavenly Father proven to us yet that He's that kind of God? Why does the enemy still convince us that he doesn't absolutely have what's best for us in mind? Why do I, why do we still believe those lies of the enemy? As if he would withhold any good thing from us. You see, I want us to notice in verse 17 the power, because there's a sentence I want you to notice, and it says, And the power of the Lord was with him to heal we got to start with believing in that. Why was the power of the Lord with him? Because Jesus was and is God. The story doesn't make sense for any other reason. The story doesn't make sense if Jesus just said some encouraging things. The religious people didn't get it. They never get it. I love when people say, you know, I like Jesus, okay, I don't like church people, I don't really like religious people. Jesus didn't like church people, and Jesus didn't like religious people. Right? Read the Bible. Who's the people he's always picking on? The religious people that should have known better, but their hearts are not changed. Their heads might be changed, but their hearts are not changed. And so the reality is that this story only makes sense as he, ex- as he expressed and explained and showed, as he illustrated to the Pharisees, well, what's harder for me to do? Say, your sins are forgiven or heal this guy. Watch. Now your sins are forgiven and you're healed. Because he is and was God. Remember Isaiah? Remember what Isaiah said about him in his prophecy? In Isaiah 9, 6, he shall be called mighty God. And secondly, because the Holy Spirit come upon him. Luke 3, 21 through 22, when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. What did Jesus say to us in Acts 1.8 about the power of the Holy Spirit? It's going to come. That when we minister, when we go forward, when we share the gospel, when we share our testimony, it's not in how good we say things. It's in the power of the Spirit, the power of God, the power of the Word of God. Jesus the Savior, the very embodiment of the gospel. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God of, for salvation of everyone who believes. You see, the gospel in human form was standing right in front of them. He stands in front of you. And you need the healing. And maybe you've brought yourself, or maybe your friends dragged you on the mat, but you're here in the presence of him. Don't leave here, pick up your mat, walk away. Don't leave here crippled on your mat still. Finally, it says, because of the faith of those who were there. It says, Jesus saw their faith. I don't know if the man on the mat's faith was included with that or not. Maybe it was. But I don't know that. And sometimes I suspect that maybe it wasn't. Because, you know, sometimes it's our friends' faith that carry us. Sometimes we just get to that point where, you know, we talked recently about having the light. And sometimes our light is so dim 
you know, one little bit of wind and it's going to go out. And we need other people to come around us with their light to keep that going. And I, and I suspect that this guy could have been at that point. He's like, man, you guys don't even bother with all this. Like, it's, I deserve this. Or, you know, maybe it's, maybe, maybe it's like some of us, maybe his parents just said you're no good. Or maybe the people are in his life, you know, because a lot of times back then, if you have a sickness or you have a, 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 if you're paralyzed, they think it was sin or something you did. So not only did you suffer with a physical ailment, you were more often than not an outcast in society. So think of the psychology of this guy, because we read the story and we kind of separate. But imagine feeling like you're an outcast your whole life, like you have the burden of this physical thing. And yet, what made the difference in this guy's life? He had these four friends that weren't going to give up. They were going to press in. They were going to do whatever it took to get him to Jesus. Our role, church, is to do whatever we can to get people to Jesus. So do we have faith to believe that God can and will use us? Do you think just Pastor Jamie and I or just the leadership team or just the people who have been Christians for a long time? No. God doesn't want you because you have a, a, an ability. or He just wants people who say, here I am, Lord. Use me. I don't know how many times I remember hearing somebody say, you get up there, you know, week after week, aren't you afraid that, you know, you're going to look stupid? I said, did you know me the first 36 years of my life? Jim was laughing. I looked stupid most of my life for the enemy. I'll be a fool for Jesus. I'll be a fool for Jesus. See, there were times in Jesus' ministry when he could not heal because there was such little faith. It says it, Mark 5, 5 and 6. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. He marveled because of their unbelief. I wonder how many churches Jesus would wander into and marvel because of their unbelief. I remember, how, I, remember I, I wonder how many churches that, that Jesus could enter into and just go, it's, it's, I can't even heal here. There's just so. See, the same power is present here for us. The same power is present here in us. The same power that God, that Jesus used to heal is the power you and I can use to share the gospel with those who are lost. We don't know anything about the cause or the duration of his power. Paralysis? Yeah, paralysis. It may have been a lifelong condition, a birth defect, something that developed in childhood. It may have been due to an accident. It may have been something he had done. It may have been the direct consequence of a bad choice, but whatever the case, it was debilitating. And he needed a healing that only Jesus could give him. There are people in our lives that need the healing only Jesus can give them. The medicine they take is not going to help. And the, all the other things that are good things, that are helpful things, that are things that can assist us. Ultimately, there are certain things that only Jesus can heal us of. Only He can meet us in those places. It's a spiritual problem, ultimately. You know, I use this illustration, and the guys at Teen Challenge like it. But I say, you know, we come to church, and we're, we're, we're sort of like the brave husband. 
that's wife's been telling you, you know, that, that toe, we'll use the toe as an example, that toe's been bothering you for a long time, you really need to get that checked out, no, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Then finally we say, ah, you know, I should make some different changes in my life. I should probably have this looked up. And so we, we show up, you know, like the husband shows up in church, like the guy shows up in the doctor's office, and we say, you know, I got this problem, you know, but I'm here, and you can look at it, and you can tell me what the problem is. And we're proud because we showed up, and now we're, we're taking the first step. So we're here at church, and we got this little issue, and we're going to deal with it. Maybe you cheat on your taxes, or maybe you steal money from your employer. I don't know what your deal is, right? We're not going to tell anybody. So you show up and you think it's good. You got this thing and you're going to deal with it and you're going to deal with the Lord. And then, and then suddenly you find out the doctor tells you, the pastor tells you, well, there's actually a cancer. It's everywhere. That cancer is going to kill you. Forget about the foot. Forget about the, the you stealing money. Forget about that one small thing because there's a bigger problem here. And you go, well, wait a minute, you know, I was only here, you know, I just want to deal with the money stealing thing. I don't want this whole big. And what I'm telling you now is that there's a cancer in your life called sin that's destroying you. And if that, if that one guy left the doctor's office and he said, you know what, this is crazy, I'm not going to deal with that cancer. I only came here to deal with the toe, I'm leaving. You'd go, that guy's crazy, what is he doing? And yet we show up to church and we're ready to deal with the one little thing. And the Lord wants to show us the big picture, our great need of him. And then we say, well, I'm not ready to deal with that. How crazy is that? You see the urgency? You see how serious things are? These, these friends desperately wanted to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus because they understood his problem. It was bigger than just a physical problem. He had a spiritual problem. He had a relational problem. He had a problem that he needed to encounter Jesus to change. And so do you. So do I. They could have got up and turned around and gone home. They could have looked at each other and said, this is too inconvenient. This is too much trouble. You could look at the clock and say, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to watch this from home. It's easier to not show up. You know, I want to I deal with my toe. This guy's always talking about the cancer, you know. I remember Darren telling me the first time he came to church for his few times, I really loved everything you said except that Jesus guy. You're always talking about the Jesus guy. It's at the beginning, right? If you could just take that one thing out, it might have made sense to the world. There's a way that seems right to man. In the end, leads to death. It's all about that Jesus guy. Jesus is the center of the story. He's the center of the church. He's the center of history. He's the center of our lives. How many lives go untouched because we let problems and circumstances turn us around? How many times does the Lord prompt us, you know, you really should pray for that. Oh, you know that person's really going, pick, it, pick up the phone, and we're like, eh, you know, I could, but they're going to be, eh, talk to me for an hour, or, or whatever the excuse is. Well, you know, last time I talked to him, you know, maybe put a little, you know, little conflict between us. Uh, it's easier not to. These friends, these guys had a million reasons to say it's easier not to. It's easier not to cut through the hole of a roof. It's easier easy not to lift this guy. It's easier not to carry him all around. But we're not called to choose what's easy. 
How many times does the gospel not get shed because it's too inconvenient? Maybe there's potential for failure. Maybe we're embarrassed. But see, these men persevered. Thank God they didn't let the problem of the crowd divert them from the mission of getting their friend to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said this, It was a very singular action which the bearers performed. Who would have thought of breaking up a roof? Nobody but those who loved much and much desired to benefit the sick. Oh, that God would make us attempt singular things to save souls. May a holy ingenuity be excited in the church. A sacred inventiveness set at work for winning men's hearts. It appeared to his generation a singular thing when John Wesley stood on his father's tombstone and preached. Glory be to God that he had the courage to preach in open air. It seemed an extraordinary thing when ministers deliver sermons in the theaters, but it is a matter of joy that sinners have been reached who might have escaped by all other means. He closes with this, Let but our hearts feel a full zeal for God, a love for souls, and we shall soon be led to adopt means which others may criticize, but Jesus Christ will accept. It's the attitude of Paul who said, I will be all things to all people that I might win some. You see, the purpose, Jesus' work in this paralyzed man's life was greater than just his physical healing. Yes, he got the physical healing. Yes, sometimes he will meet you where you're at and change your circumstance or change your situation or provide a physical healing. But the bigger picture, the greater work, is that Jesus forgave his sins and saved them. How awesome that God can use something as difficult as being paralyzed to do an eternal work of salvation. You see, we all have sicknesses and ailments and struggles and sins. We all have ways we're paralyzed. And it doesn't matter how we got there. It matters that we encounter Jesus. These men are the example of a right attitude leading to action. And the result, verse 25 and 26, the end result of the work of Christ in this man's life was that God was glorified and praised by everyone who saw what happened. We've said, we've said that, we've been preaching on that all week. That we would live lives to the glory of God. That when people saw the difference in this man's life and his physical, spiritual, relational life, that they praised God. The whole Christian church is full of sacred praise when a sinner is saved, even heaven itself is glad. Spurgeon. This only happens if we don't give up. As the worship team comes up, I want to close with another piece of scripture. Hebrews 10, verse 32. And it says this. Remember those earlier days after you have received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. I want to read that again. Listen to that. Because some of us feel like right, we're right in the middle of it now. Remember those earlier days after you have received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. 
You know, I tell Teen Challenge guys all the time, sometimes that, you know, I got to do this, I got to do that. I, gotta, I say, you know what the greatest thing that we got to do is, oftentimes, stand. Be still and know that I am God. Some translations, we've, you've heard me say, cease striving and know that I am God. Acknowledge the limits of what you can do and the no limits on what I can do. Sometimes the hardest work is to stand. Verse 33, sometimes you are publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who were treated, who were so treated. Yet you sympathized with those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So... Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need per to persevere so that after you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased. Verse 39, this is the promise. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but we are of those who believe and are saved. We want, us to we want to remember the earlier days. We want to look back to the testimonies, to the times when our faith brought us through adversity. We want to see how God showed up time and time again. And we want to seek after him. Because not only does he show up, and not only does he change things, but it provides opportunity for him to be glorified. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. That's the goal, folks. It's not just about comfort. It's about growth. It's about us being more and more like Jesus. And the thing is that as we walk through this process, as we take steps, we realize that he is preparing us to be perfect and lacking in nothing. Look, every time you have a choice to make, every time things get rough, and your indication, your inclination is to go and run after the things of the world, to run after a chemical, to run after a relationship, whatever it is. I know there's times in my mind where I wanted to do that, and the Lord would break in and say, just try me first. You're going to go pick up, you're going to do whatever. Okay, go, do it. That's, you're going to do it, do it. Just, just meet me. Just spend a little time with me. And I don't know how many times that brought me to a place of just surrender with Jesus. And meeting him in that place makes you forget about all that other stuff. But when the enemy lies to us, when the enemy comes to us with those lies, we gotta, we got to hear that still small voice of Jesus saying, come to me. Because the rest you long for is only found in my presence. In adversity, we need to sink, seek God and glorify Him with our faith. In adversity, we need to do life together and stand with each other. And in adversity, we need to not give up because we have heaven to look forward to. You know, there's a story, and I know a lot of you have heard it, and I want to close with it. But it's a story of a race in the Special Olympics. And as the racers as the racers were running and they were getting toward the finish line 
one of the runners fell. And so the crowd and everybody was yelling for the other runner, you know, go, keep going, you're going to win. And so the racer looked at the crowd and looked at the finish line and looked back at her friend and she thought, well, but my, my friend fell. But everybody in the crowd said, no, go, keep going, you're going to win. And that little girl, she, she turned around and she went back and she started walking back to her friend that had fallen. And the other racers were coming and now they're getting to that point too. And, and, and the finish line's any one of theirs, but they see what's happening and they stop too. And they help this, this little girl, they help pick this little boy up. And all of them together put their hands around each other, their arms around each other, and they cross the finish line together. You think anybody that was there ever forgot that race out of all the races they've ever seen? Because that's what it means to, to win. It's not about just getting the trophy for you or the accolades. It's not about even listening to what the crowd says. This is what you need to do. It's about fundamentally understanding that when somebody's fallen, you don't need to be particularly intelligent to know the right thing to do is to help them up, not keep going. And sometimes those that we would think are simple teach us the lessons most profound. That's winning the race is crossing the finish line with those people God's called you to walk with. Amen? Please. Oh, yes. Thank you, Jamie. Sorry, I'm all, you know. Um, we're going to uh, prepare to have a communion together now as the worship team begins to play. I'm going to ask you, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians to examine ourselves to consider our condition in our heart. And so you had an opportunity this morning. You know, we heard a sermon. We saw a beautiful baby dedication. And so now you can do your business with God. Now as Jamie passes out the elements, Michelle passes out the elements, you can quietly just pray and consider what it is he's asking you to let go of. And believe me when I tell you that when the Lord takes something from us, He replaces it with something so much better. Once you have the elements, we're going to partake together. So just... Uh...
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus, for not only this reminder of your sacrifice, but for a reminder of the promise that you will come again. Lord, as we transition now to close and worship, continue, Father, to minister to our hearts, to change us from the inside out. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name. You can stand. I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior of that cursed tree. His body bowed and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone. Messiah still and all alone. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. For endless days we will sing Your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. At break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. Don't trample death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. Hallelujah. 
up in this place. Oh, Holy One of Heaven, God, we just bow down at your throne this morning, God. Lord, we admit our insufficiency. God, our depravity. God, there is no good news without the bad news, Lord. We are sinners, and yet you love us still, Lord. God, give us that courage. God, just not only to lay down our sin, but to admit it God, to just search ourselves, give us the courage to look into our own hearts and to ask you to look into our own hearts. And God, and to remember that this world is so temporary, that it's painful, God, because we're growing. And Lord, let us not shy away from the difficult things because it's that where you bring us up, God, where you mold us and make us. Those are the times we're close to you, God. And let us remember that always, God, let us lean on you first and foremost, but also give us that courage to lean on one another, to admit our faults to one another, God, to draw the strength that you've given us in numbers, Lord. And only then can we be a mighty force for your kingdom, Lord. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Sometimes on this journey, I get lost in my mistakes. What looks to me like we 